We are on Ksubis Nenvav Amid Aleph, towards the middle by the two dots, as the Gemara now continues with the second half of the Mishnah, the opening Mishnah of the Perak, of the chapter. Uh, we mentioned that there's two parts to the Mishnah. The first part of the Mishnah was discussing what we've been discussing until now, the Tosefus Ksuba, when is the obligation to pay, when does the husband obligate himself to pay the Tosefus Ksuba, the additional amount of the Ksuba, above and beyond the 100 or 200. The second half of the Mishnah is a dispute between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Meir um, about whether or not uh, the wife has the ability to be mocheles, to forgo the ksuba. The ksuba is an obligation that the husband has uh, to uh, pay his wife after the end of the marriage. Does the wife have the right or ability to forgo that payment? Could she say that I don't want to? I don't want to be paid. Um, the way the mission describes the mechila, the form of foregoing the payment, is that she ends up writing to him uh, as a lie, saying that I received. Let's say she doesn't want to go forego all of it; she wants to forego half of it. She still wants to get paid half of it, so then she could write a a, a receipt uh, to her husband, saying that I already received half. She's lying. She's lying about it. Uh, but she's uh, she's writing, I already received half. But I don't, it's not a full lie. It could be that from a halakhic perspective, the way mechila, the way uh, uh, forgoing uh, and, and forgiving on an obligation, saying that a person doesn't have to pay me, halakhically it could be viewed as, as though, uh, from a conceptual standpoint, it's as though they received the payment already. They're saying that it's as if they received the payment already. So it might not be a complete lie from a conceptual standpoint. Um, but she's she's writing a, a receipt basically saying that she already was received half of the payment. So Rabbi Huda says that that's allowed. It's allowed. She's allowed to do that. If she was supposed to receive 200, she could write a receipt saying to her husband saying, I already received uh, 100. Um, Rav Meir, who we will not focus on in today's class, will focus mostly on Rabbi Huda. Uh, but Rav Meir argues. And Rav Meir says she's not allowed to do this. Why is she not allowed to do this? It's, it's, she's, it's something that she can't do. So that's something that we'll see. Uh, hopefully in the next class, not in this class, uh, we'll focus mostly on the position of Rabbi Huda says that this is allowed. So the Gemara says, wait a minute. The Shover, is it really true that Rabbi Huda says that we write a receipt? Basically, what's taking place here? Uh, the wife, let's, let's, let's re- reanalyze this. Um, the wife is owed, let's say, 200 by her husband. When, not now, but when her husband, let's say, passes away, much later on in life. So she's owed 200. She has a document in her hand. She has the Ksuba document. That she, she she carries with her from the moment that she, they're married, uh, she ha, she has to be holding on to it. She, she's holding on to it um, as proof that she's owed the money at 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 some point in time, some later point in time. Um, and so now, what does she do? She basically she says um, that she was already paid half of it. So she was already paid half of it. So what do you do in that situation? Um, it's a general question. Forget about Ksuba. It's a general question. Let's say there's a loan. Um, a person A lent money to person B, B now owes A money, but A then says, uh, or not just says, but let's say B pays half of it. He lent 200, 100 was paid back. So now, what do you do with regards to the proof? Um, do you write a receipt uh, to the person who has to pay and say that uh, uh, this is proof? We have witnesses who signed the proof that you already paid 100, you only owe another 100, you do not owe the full 200, and now it's on that person who owes the money, whether it's the husband or whether it was the person who borrowed money, those are the people that owe money, um, it's on them to hold on to that receipt. 
If they don't hold on to that receipt, they might be paying more than they're supposed to be paying. Uh, or do we say that no, it shouldn't be on that person to hold on to the receipt and what happens if it gets lost? It shouldn't be on them for that responsibility. No, the responsibility should be, since they already paid 100, the responsibility should be placed on uh, the one who uh, is owed the money. So whether it's the wife uh, or it's the, the, the lender, uh, the one who lent out the money, so they're owed the money. It's on them to hold on to their document that they're owed the money. And so therefore what we should do is instead of writing a receipt uh, and therefore making the person who's obligated to pay uh, sort of bring proof and hold on to that proof, no. We will make the person who's owed the money, the wife, and in a case of a loan, uh, the lender, uh, will we'll write a new document for them. And they have to hold on to that document. Who has that obligation. So Rabbi Yehuda, from our Mishnah, seems to be saying that we write a receipt and that we give that receipt to the um, to the husband and the husband now holds on to this and he has to hold on to this. Otherwise, if he loses it, so then he would have to pay the full 200. Uh, she's saying that uh, uh, I already received my 100. I don't, need to I, don't I don't need to receive the full 200. Just pay me back 100. If he loses it, so then he would have to pay back the full two hundred. He doesn't have any proof. The problem that seems that seems pretty clear from our mission. The problem is, is that there's another Mishnah which seems to be saying the opposite when it comes to a loan. When it comes to a case where um, the borrower paid back half of the loan, so Rabbi Huda says no. We don't write a receipt. Instead, we write a new. Uh, a new loan document at that point in time. There's a new loan. It's not 200 anymore. Now it's 100. We write a new document and now the the lender has to hold on to that and it's his responsibility to hold on to it. Rubiosi argues and says, no, we write a receipt and it's on the uh, borrower to make sure that he holds on to that evidence uh, as proof uh, that he already paid half. Uh, so why does Rubiosi say when it comes to uh, the Ksuba that uh, we write a receipt and, she, and the husband has to hold on to it, and it's the husband's obligation to hold on to it, and he has to um, make sure that he brings this proof and he cannot lose it, as opposed to when it comes to a loan, we say the opposite according to Rabbi Huda, that no, we, we don't make the, the one who has to pay, we don't make the borrower uh, hold on to a receipt, we write a new document for the lender. Why, why is it flipped? Sigmar so gives two answers. First answer is, Amr Abirmiya, Kishishov Rasumitoch. It really... It's not flipped. Really, we write a receipt, but we don't write a receipt and give it to the to the husband. We write a receipt in the super document itself, in the document, that same document that the wife is holding on to as proof that she's owed money. Uh, before there's a little bit of a of a blank area before the witness is signed, and so we write in there. In there, we write the shover, we write the receipt. So it's really not on the husband to hold on to the receipt. Really, the wife is has everything all in the same document. It's all in that same page. It's both. The ksuba, the obligation that the husband has to pay, but it also has stated in there that she already received half of the payment. That's answer number one. Answer number two, Abaya Amar, I feel the tema b'shein shuvrasu mitocha b'shlom ha'hasam v'adai paradilma mirchas tavarta v'meipik leilishtari v'hadri gavizim nachrina. Hacha v'adai yahiv la milsa ba'amihi. Damrele, i natri natri, i lo natri, i hu da'afsed anafshe. Abaya basically says as follows. He says that no, Really, really, Rabbi Huda is of the opinion that once a person pays back half, so then uh, it's not on the person who has to pay to hold on to the document. 
not on, it's not on him. Really, we just we read a new document for the lender, the one who's owed the money. And the same thing should apply between a husband and a wife. But over here, as we mentioned in the beginning, we're talking about a situation where the wife really was never paid. She's just writing this down as if she was paid. Uh, but she's really just uh, being mochelas. She's forgoing the, the payment. She was never actually paid. So in this case, uh, because she was never actually paid, so okay, so we'll, we'll give the receipt to the husband because at the end of the day, he loses it. At the end of the day, <laughs> yeah, it's not like he's paying double. No, he just never paid, so he'll pay the full 200. What's the big deal? He'll pay the full 200. It's not like, uh, it's not like he's paying 400. It's not like he's paying again double. No, she, she's claiming, uh, she's, she's forgoing the, the, uh, the ksupa. She's saying, you don't have to pay me. The way she's doing it is by saying that she was already paid 100. So if he ends up paying, if the husband ends up paying more because he lost the, the document, okay, he's not really paying more. He's paying the amount that he should have been paying the whole time. So it's not a problem, and that's a Baye's reason. So the Gemara just says, Bishlama, a Baye Lomar, Rabbi Yemriya, Lokatani, Shavrasim, Tocha. The Gemara says, I understand why Abaye doesn't say like the first answer. The Gemara now wants to understand that we have two answers. Why don't they say like each other? So the second answer didn't say like the first answer because that's just putting words into the Mishnah, which doesn't exist. To say the first answer, which is that this shover, this receipt, is actually inside the document to the Ksuba, that's adding a lot. And the second, first answer doesn't say like the second answer. Because the second answer is saying that we, we, we write a, re, a receipt for the husband. Um, but the first, according to the first opinion, will argue and say that, no, we can't write a receipt to the husband, even though, obviously, no payment took place here. Uh, and she's just really uh, saying that you don't have to pay me 100. Um, but still, we won't write a receipt for the husband because people might get confused and think that if we write a receipt for the husband, then we could write a receipt for any similar situation, like a loan. We don't want people to get confused, and so therefore we won't write a receipt even in this case. That would be the why the first opinion doesn't say like the second opinion. Okay, fine. So in the end of the day, there is a receipt. So we see for Rabbi Huda there is a receipt. The net, the Gemara now gets into something uh, very interesting. The Gemara says, "Time of the Kosvile, Avlal Pelo, Amai, Davar Shabim Mamun Hu, Bevashamil, Rabbi Huda, Davar Davar Shabim Mamun, Tanakayim." The Gemara says as follows: When does this work? For the wife to say uh, that uh, she uh, she she doesn't want the two hundred, she only wants to get paid one hundred. That only works if she writes it down afterwards. They get married, the ksuba is two hundred. Afterwards, she says she's forgoing it and saying you don't have to pay me the two hundred, just pay me one hundred. But if they did it from the onset, this is how some of the commentaries explain it. They did it from the onset, from the very beginning of the marriage. They said, you know what? It's one hundred, not two hundred. Sounds like that would not work. To do it from the very get-go, from the very beginning, that would not work. So the Gemara wants to know, why wouldn't that work? What's the problem with that? Don't we know, Rabbi Huda is of the opinion, that even if you write something which goes against what the Torah has to say, if it's a monetary issue, the condition still works. The ksuba is a monetary issue. It's a monetary issue. So if you want to change the conditions of monetary issue, Rabbi Huda is of the opinion, that that works. So why can't it be that from the very beginning, from the onset of the marriage, they, they don't write 200, they just write 100. The Mishnah only says that after the fact, after their marriage, she could go back and she could say, don't pay me 200, pay me 100. But if it was from the very beginning, it sounds like it won't work. Why not? Rabbi Yehuda, we're about to see in a minute, is of the opinion that, um, that 
uh, it should work. Anything, any monetary issue, even if the Torah tells us one way, when it comes to the monetary issue, we could, we could, uh, we could play with it. It's uh, it, the Torah. The Torah allows uh, allows changes if it's a monetary issue. Where do we see this? The Tanya. We have the following brayso: Ha'omer lisha arim ukedeshesli amenashi in lachalai shirkstus v'ona harizim ukedeshes v'tino abatel divir meir reviewed omer b'davish v'momen tino kaiyim k'sever b'yehuda tino kaiyim. Basically, what happens if an interesting case? What happens if a person gets married, and they say that I, I will marry my wife on the condition that the various obligations that the Torah has, I, I, I am not obligating myself in those in those conditions. Meaning, what what's included in that um, to provide for clothing? It's a monetary issue. To provide for food, and also uh, there's an obligation. The Torah obligates the husband. It's an obligation on the husband to um, to engage in sexual relations with his wife. The obligation is really on the husband um, to to uh, please his wife and to provide um, to engage in sexual relations with his wife. So if he says for all three of these things, or for any of these things, uh, that uh, he he's not obligating himself. He wants to get married, but not have those obligations. Rabbi Meir says does not work. Those conditions don't work. They're still married, but he still is obligated. He cannot go against the Torah. Rabbi Huda says no. Rabbi Huda Omer, when it comes to sexual relations, he cannot uh, he cannot uh, get out of that. That's part of the definition, and that's part of the obligation that he has. But when it comes to monetary monetary issues like um, providing clothing and providing uh, food. So if the wife accepts this and says, "You know what? Let's get married," and you're not, you don't have to do it. I, I agree, and it's fine. She, she knows what she's getting herself into. When it comes to monetary issues, even though the Torah, let's say, tells us otherwise, the Torah tells us that uh, he should obligate himself. Uh, so um, the Torah tells us that he is obligated to to provide these things. Rabbi Yehuda says that that he has the ability to to change the conditions. When it comes to monetary issues, again, she's agreeing to this, so then you can change change the issues. So so this is the, this is a big question. So we see that we see from this brisa that Rabbi Yehuda is of the opinion that uh, when it comes to monetary issues, if the Torah says one thing, if everybody agrees to do otherwise, so then it works. They could they could do that. So then so too over here by the ksuba. Why can't we write a ksuba from the beginning that it's not two hundred? So the answer is because Rabbi Yehuda ksuba der abanan v'chacham asu chizuk l'dereim yosem rishel Torah. The answer is, is that Rabbi Yehuda is of the opinion that ksuba is not a biblical obligation; it's a rabbinic obligation. Once it's a rabbinic obligation, Rabbi Yehuda is also of the opinion that when it comes to rabbinic obligations, because it's rabbinic, so some people might not take it as seriously, and so therefore we want we want to give it greater strength, and we'll say that it's even we want to make sure that it exists even more so than a biblical obligation. So even a biblical obligation. They could get rid of. They could. The, the husband and wife could agree. You know what? Don't pay me for the, for the food and for the clothing. They could agree to that, because the ksuba, is on a rabbinic level, and we want to strengthen, uh, the rabbinic decree of having a ksuba and having this payment, so they don't have the ability to lower it at the beginning. Again, at the beginning of the marriage, they can't say it's not two hundred to one hundred. They don't have the ability to do that because we want to strengthen the rabbinic obligation to have a ksuba later on. If she wants to forgo it, she's allowed to do it. But to, to make a, a condition from the beginning, that you cannot do. Because we want to strengthen the rabbinic decree. Okay, that's what the Gemara says. So the Gemara now wants to know, broader issue. Is it really true that we hold that we try to strengthen rabbinic decrees? So we'll bring two cases where it seems like not that way. So the Gemara says as follows. I understand. Um, 
Pirasim, but Pirus, Pirasim, Adolam. Rabbi says, basically, that if the uh, husband writes that he doesn't want to receive, let's say, the wife brings in a certain uh, property into the marriage, uh, so the ruling is, is that the husband has the rights to, to the Pirus, the fruit of those fields. Uh, but if he wants to write down and say that he doesn't uh, get any, he's not allowed to use it, so then that works. But that's a rabbinic idea. Verkaimelan, my save Omer. So Amr by moving on to Nimvav and Bey is 56b. Lakol yesh ksuba vlo lakol yesh peros. Milsa deshrikha of the Burabana Chizak. Milsa deloshrikhi love the Burabana Chizak. The Gemara answers that that case is different. It's true. The fact that the husband has rights to the fruit of the field, that's a rabbinic law. Uh, but he has the right to say, I don't want it even though it's rabbinic law, and we want to strengthen rabbinic laws in general. But over here, not every wife brings uh, 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 property into the marriage. Every wife has a ksuba. Every marriage has a ksuba. That is a rabbinic decree which exists for every marriage. So, so for that, we want to strengthen it. But when it comes to situations where it's not as common, for those rabbinic issues, we don't have to strengthen. Okay, so the Gemara then says, another case, Hare Hamarim, uh, we have another case. Uh, basically, the case here is where you have two people. We've actually had this earlier in the Masechta, in the tractate. You have two people who are selling things. And they basically, there's concern that they're, they're helping each other out. They go to one city, and one person says, Oh, but his stuff is so much better than mine. They go to the next city, and then the other person says, No, the, the other, my friend's stuff is better than mine. So basically, to, to make it as if uh, they're, they're working together, but uh, there's a concern that they're working together, and can we trust them or not? Um, uh, especially when they, when they say that, uh, in general, we're concerned that uh, when, when people are selling produce, specifically produce, and they are not knowledgeable in Torah, they're less knowledgeable in Torah, maybe they didn't take off, uh, for produce in Israel, you have to take off certain amounts and give it to either the Kohanim or to the Leviim, and there's concern that maybe they didn't take it off. Most do, but there's a, there's a concern that a minority didn't, and maybe you received from that minority. So they go from city to city, and they, they say, no, that person, he took off. They're, they're basically witnessing, they're testifying, they're saying, uh, my friend, he, he took off everything that he's supposed to take off. Everything is good. So do we trust them or not? Do we, are we concerned that uh, maybe they're lying, and they're just uh, they're, they're conspiring together? Uh, so Rabbi Huda says, no, we're not concerned for that, even though this is a rabbinic concern, and this is referring to Demai, there's a rabbinic concern. Uh, but Rabbi Huda says, this rabbinic concern, we trust them, and we don't strengthen this idea, even though it's only on a rabbinic level. So that's the, that's the question. So the Gemara answers, Abayi gives one answer. Abayi says that when do the rabbis strengthen a rabbinic decree? That's when it's a rabbinic decree of certainty. Like Aksuba. Aksuba is certain that it's supposed to take place. Over here, we're talking about a case where it's questionable. We don't, we don't really know if, the, if that uh, farmer uh, took off all the miser already, the, the gifts that he's supposed to take off. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. It's questionable. So the rabbi said, in general, we don't trust them and, and you have to take it off yourself. But over here, where he has his friend claiming that, uh, that the farmer, the farmer A, is authentic and he really took it off and he should trust him, uh, so for that, we don't have to strengthen the rabbinic law there because it's, uh, it, it's, not, it's not a certain rabbinic law anyways. Anyways, the whole time the rabbis were, weren't sure about it. They thought that there's, there's a good chance that he did take off anyways. So that's the position of Abayi. Rav Amr b'demayi Rav says 
And then when it comes to Demai, in general, when it comes to Demai, most people, even if they're not knowledgeable in Torah law, they do take off these gifts uh, that are supposed to be given to the Kohen and to the poor and to the Levi. So therefore, um, we could be lenient and say and trust uh, one friend uh, uh, talking about the other, saying that they, that that farmer really took off all the fruit, all the presents that he was supposed to take off, all the mites that he was supposed to take off. So for that rabbinic decree, we don't need to strengthen it. Um, those were two questions on Rebuta. Again, in the end day, Rebuta says that uh, they can't make this condition to lower the ksuba from the onset because we want to strengthen this rabbinic uh, law. Okay, that concludes. We're in the, towards the top of Nenvalim Beit 56b, and we will continue with this Gemara in the next class.